I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Ah, our last Spider-Man related episode before No Way Home releases. And since there's a rumor about multiple Spider-People being in that movie, we decided to bring in one more person for this episode. Welcoming back to the show, our good friend, Insane Ian. Oh gosh, it's me. Hi guys. Hello. Hi. You got a white dude, a white lady, and a Latino dude, so we have Peter, Gwen, and Miles. Clearly, yes. Spider-Verse is being unleashed once again. And this will be the second time that I've played Peter B. Parker. I'm okay (laughs) with that. Oh, yeah, because you did that Spider-Verse song with Devo Spice and Luke Ski. Yes, yes. Hi, I'm Pete. It's sure nice to meet you. I fight supervillains when I'm not eating pizza. I'm just like that last guy, though my hair is much darker. My driver's license says my name is Peter B. Parker. With all of those wonderful, fun people, Creative Mind Frame, Lex and Lexicon Artist, Bunny Gordon, all of those were all in there. Yes, that was a good time. That was for, of course, the animated Into the Spider-Verse movie, not for the upcoming No Way Home which is part of the Spider-Man Home Trilogy. Now that they've used Home in all three titles, this is officially the Home Trilogy. We are getting a sequel to uh, Into the Spider-Verse called Across the Spider-Verse. Part one comes out in October. They've they've split it up into two movies now. A Spider-Verse Trilogy. I think my uh, my favorite uh, meme about the uh, Spider-Man Home Trilogy is uh, Spider-Man talking to Odin and Odin saying, are you Spider-Man, God of Homes? <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of brings up that they, a missed opportunity to call the new uh, animated series Spider-Man Homeroom. Although here's here's something kind of cool about that that animated series, the, the freshman year. So there is an artist on Twitter who was doing, like, fan Spider-Man webcomics and uh, was also working on Animaniacs with our good friend TV's Kyle. And uh, so I I saw their webcomics, and they're amazing, uh, and uh, had to bring them down briefly, uh, or actually probably permanently, because she said that she was involved in another gig, and then about a month later it was announced, the Spider-Man animated freshman year series, and she's a storyboarder on that. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. So... Uh, Meg, uh, I cannot pronounce the last name, but uh, it, y- y- you go looking for her. She's got amazing work out there and uh, does her own webcomic about other things and uh, is involved in several animated productions. And of course, most recently being Spider-Man freshman year. Uh, I'm excited to have a good uh, spider fan on the show. That makes it good for me. I'm excited for that. So I also wanted to mention that you recently released a brand new album. I did! I did! There's sadly no Spider-Man songs on this one, but uh, I'm in the in the CD artwork whenever that actually comes out. Uh, I am wearing my, my Spider-Man hoodie that zips up all the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, I put out a brand new album. It's called Illinois. It is 17 tracks of comedy nerdy goodness. You know, I, I cover the gamut of, of uh, pop culture things such as Doctor Who and 
Death Note and Futurama and Loki and friggin' Game Grumps and uh, all sorts of other things. Castlevania, the video game, all sorts of other cool things on there and uh, some other, like, not nearly pop culture-centric songs as well. I, I, I dive into some, you know... Comedy for normies, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do some some not nearly as geeky-centric songs, just some general comedy songs as well. So uh, it is out now on Bandcamp. If you go to insaneian.bandcamp.com, you can pick up my new album, Illinois, as well as the live album, Illinois in Illinois, that was recorded at Fumfest in 2021. Uh, and, which we were uh, both there for. Both me and yeah, Kiki yes, were there which for. Both Kiki and, uh, and uh, Tuesday were there for. And uh, 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 it'll be on Spotify and Apple, iTunes, music, whatever the hell they call that thing now, later on. So who's the one behind time keepers who drops the clues for all comic readers? You reign. He's the one that remains. So let's get to the Spider-Manning. We left off with Amazing Spider-Man 1, which made it. You know, it made its money. We got a sequel that underperformed, to put it lightly. Yeah, we, we, talked, we talked last week that there was that there were things to be recommended about that that sequel, but we didn't get into the sequel itself. The series as a whole, uh, both Amazing Spider-Man one and two, uh, left me wanting. I found them to be severely lacking. Yeah. I actually, uh, I'm I'm one of the few people, and I realize this about myself, that I actually prefer Amazing Spider-Man 2 over Amazing Spider-Man 1, but that's only because of how much I abjectly hated Amazing Spider-Man 1. I thought that uh, the first film needed some, some editing, you know, that it, it needed to be tightened up a bit in the editing process and the scripting process, but... Uh, Andrew Garfield really did shine, and I think he was underperformed by some of the the script writing and uh, filmmaking choices. I thought he was. A, I thought he was a good Spider Man. I thought he was a terrible Peter Parker. We mentioned that in, in, in yeah. last week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. So by the end of 2014, there was that infamous Sony data leak, and we got emails that already at that point, when Amazing Two was in production that Marvel Studios was already in discussion with Sony to bring Spider-Man into the MCU for the movie that would eventually be called Captain America Civil War. Yes. Which means that at some point, Andrew Garfield was at least considered to be the MCU Spider-Man. Yeah. Poor poor Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> poor uh, Andrew, somebody go give that man a hug. Like, they, they, they leaked a whole ton of things that, like... They weren't really moving on yet, but these ideas they had. They not only had, like, let's do Amazing 3 and let's get Andrew as Spidey into the MCU, but let's also do a Sinister Six movie. Let's also, do, let's also do a, what we're going to call Black and Silver, which is going to be Black Cat and Silver Sable in a team-up movie. Let's also do an Aunt May origin movie. Why? What? Have you ever heard of the comic book called Trouble? Yes, it's awful. Don't, no, don't do that. Let's not do that. It's bad. It was a bad idea then. It's a bad idea now. Don't. Please don't. I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Don't. I, I would have really loved to see that Spider-Man 2099 movie. 
you know, yeah, I think we're going to get our chance with uh, Across the Spider-Verse uh, with Oscar Isaac reprising the voice role uh, from the end credits of Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, spoiler warning if you haven't seen this three-year-old movie at this point. Yeah, I will say on the Aunt May front, we've got that what if series now. If they do exactly. more of them, there are some very interesting uh, Aunt May what ifs out there. <laughs> Spider-Ma'am, that's all I'm going to say. Spider-Ma'am. Spider-Ma'am is one of the best things from Dan Slott's uh, Spider-Verse run. Spider-Ma'am is hilarious to me, and I absolutely love it. And that that is if Aunt May got bit by the spider instead. Both Pete and Uncle Ben are still alive and helping her, but she's this octogenarian in a spider costume. It's hilarious, and I love it. But can you imagine, like, Marissa Tomei selling that I would concept? pay good money for that shit. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. can I not swear on this? <laughs> <laughs> you you can do that one. We're PG-13. And then they decided to, we're, we're, we're not going to go forward with Amazing 3. We're not going to have uh, Andrew Garfield around anymore. And uh, exit Andrew Garfield, enter Tom Holland as Who's, the new Spider-Man. Who, who apparently said in... Uh, like five years before uh, Civil War and and Homecoming came out, that he's like, after Andrew Garfield, I want to be the next Spider Man, and hmm. like, hey, here he is. You know, I I when I watched Homecoming last night to to refamiliarize myself with it, uh, I put in the Blu-ray and like all the special features auto played after the movie, and uh, he has a clip of him saying that. So, so yeah, we get the introduction of. Uh, Tom Holland in Captain America Civil War and starting and, that relationship with Tony Stark. Yeah, and apparently this was an, another one where every young actor in Hollywood got the call. Yeah, I remember Asa Butterfield, or whatever his last name is, the dude who played Ender in Ender's Game, Yeah, was was in the the lead running for, for the Peter Parker role. And I was like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be disappointed by that. And then they announced Tom Holland, and I'm like, I don't know who this kid is. And then I saw him, and I saw his physicality, uh, you know, doing the flips and the the poses, and I went, oh, no, no, this is a good choice. I, I like this. And then when we finally get to see him in Civil War and the way he's quipping as he's fighting, I'm like, this could not be more perfect. I am so excited for his solo movie, and I know it's coming, and they haven't officially announced it, but I'm excited. You get that end credit scene, Spider-Man yes. will return. Yes, Spider-Man will return, and he's got his little signal thing, and I'm like, oh, yes. Before we really get into Homecoming, I want to I pull this band-aid off, and let's get, get the, the obvious one out of the way. Peter Parker in the MCU has more in common with Miles than Peter Parker of the comic books. And that's that's something that's kind of common with a lot of the MCU interpretations of characters because you've got 70 years of comic history to pull from and the modern day quote-unquote adaptations of those characters you know the 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 reimagining that they did with the ultimates comics line has been a lot of what they've been adapting for the films i mean just look at nick fury Mm -hmm. you know in the mark millar uh, ultimates book which was what they called the avengers he was he was just he just looked like samuel l jackson and, you know, 
Samuel L. Jackson didn't like approve a likeness rights or anything for that. He's just like, this comic book character looks like me. And then when Marvel decided to bring Nick Fury in, they went, well, of course we're going to ask Samuel L. Jackson. So, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing over a lot of the, the stuff from the uh, ultimate comics line, which is both a, a, a good and uh, and a bad thing. I wouldn't say he's exactly like miles in this. He's exactly like the ultimate comics version of Peter Parker, who was, you know, 100% more in high school during the first five years of his run uh, than I remember the original Peter Parker being in the the 60s. Uh, So, I mean, I I could be a little misplaced on that. It's been a while since I've read the original run. But I I, I just want to go through it for a moment because we have MCU Peter. He goes to a STEM school. So does Miles. Peter has the chubby Asian friend in Ned. Miles has Genki. Yeah, uh, Ned is pretty much Genki. I will give you that much. But uh, in in the uh, ultimate run, Peter Parker also went to the STEM school. You also have the mentoring of an Avenger, Peter being mentored by Iron Man. In the Ultimates comics, Miles was mentored by Captain America. The high-tech suit. Peter gets the high-tech suit from Tony Stark. Miles gets the high-tech suit from Nick Fury. Right. And, of course, the big one was, you know, in the sequels, having to fill the shoes of a beloved hero who died. For Peter, it is Iron Man. But for Miles, it was Peter. Peter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I understand the comparison. I feel like they're, they're probably doing a little bit of character combining, which they do a lot for the MCU. And the MCU is just another adaptation. That's what a lot of people get their their pennies in a twist about this particular movie or this particular series is like, Oh, this MCU version of of Spider-Man, he's got everything handed to him. He's got a high tech suit and you know, he's got the backing by Tony Stark. Uh, he doesn't have the uncle Ben father figure. He's got Tony Stark as the father figure now. And you know, it's not really a class thing like it is with Peter in the original comics. Like, you know, Peter's a poor kid and he should be fighting for, you know, the, the other poor kid kind of thing. And I was like, it, yeah, the class struggle is not as prevalent in these movies as it is in the books. But at the same time, this is an adaptation. They're going to change things. Every adaptation does. Like they did with the amazing movies. Uh, we mentioned exactly. it last week. The typical loser nerd of the 60s doesn't really work in the modern day which is why they made the changes to Peter's character in those films to better represent Peter as a loner, an outsider, and a loser. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that. And, uh, you know, that's one of my problems with those movies is that he was too cool. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know... Uh, Skateboarding through the halls, underst- you know. I, I, under- I understand, like, the, the, the idea of the need to make a change to make it fit a certain situation. And, you know, given how the MCU is set up, making those changes for this version of Peter Parker to me makes sense. Uh, they, I know it doesn't jive with original comics or original comics fans, but this is not those comics. This is its own thing. This is the MCU and trying to keep that in mind for a lot of people apparently is difficult. Uh, you know, I, I'm always one who's, who's very happy to make comparisons between, you know, the film and the original source material on a, any given thing, mostly comics and video games, but, you know, that's my shtick. But, uh, you know, I'm also one of the people who kind of understands that, yeah, they're going to change stuff, and uh, of course they're going to be different, and I'm more a little bit more accepting of that. The interesting thing is if we're going to be 
you know, comparing, because that's kind of the point of the whole series that we've been doing, is um, Tom Holland has been telling some kind of funny stories uh, in the press tour uh, leading up to the the new film. Because as we're recording this, they have been on the on the the press junket to promote the film. Yeah, we're about a week and a half out from the new movie coming out as as of this recording. Yeah, he has been talking about when he was initially cast, and he's been telling a couple of stories. Uh, first of all, was his initial casting, and he s- sort of act accidentally kind of got the tip off that he might be the guy from a driver. Yeah, I saw that as a news article. That was so funny. He was telling it on, I think, maybe one of the Graham Norton clips. Um, But he was being driven back to the studio for a meeting with the Marvel people. And the guy who was driving all these perspective uh, Spider-Men uh, were, <laughs> were, was driving him and he was looking at Tom in the rearview mirror over and over and over again. And he said, you know what, kid? I think you're the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Tom said, why, why do you think that? And he said, because these last guys I, I've been driving... They're all way too handsome. You, you look like like the kid from Queens. You just look like the unassuming <laughs> little Peter Parker Spider Man. Like you're, they're all way too handsome. But you, 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 you got it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw had all had all the headline of Tom Holland basically found out he was cast by hearing it from a quote unquote too honest driver (laughs) yes and he said that he ran into the driver later because the same guy drove him to the set for one of the early days of filming and the driver was like didn't i tell you you were gonna get the part and he's like or he's like didn't i tell you didn't i tell you don't you remember me i told you i told you and he was like what did you tell me that I was going to get the part or that I was too ugly? <laughs> like, <laughs> we talked about how uh, one of the uh, one of the other things was Andrew Garfield was just too good looking to be Peter Parker. Like I, that, I that fully you agree just with that. didn't didn't believe him as being like the overlooked kid in in yeah, high that's, school because Andrew thing. Garfield's just so freaking hot. <laughs> yeah, he's he's an attractive dude, and that's you know. When Peter Parker got into college and stuff, they they started in the comics drawing him a bit more handsome. And, you know, he, he... He broke out of his shell, as it were. He broke out of his shell when he hit college and everything. But but in in high school, no, he, he never... He was still in the teenage years. And the problem with a lot of those things was is that you had people who were in their mid to late 20s playing a high schooler in the original Spider-Man and, and Amazing Spider-Man. So, you know, they've already broken out of their shells. And when Tom Holland is filming Civil War and and Homecoming, he is still in his early, like, he's like 19, 20 years old when he's filming those. So. Yeah. He, and and bless him, even, even now as we're recording this, he's, 25 and he has had a bit of a glow up you know like a little bit yeah you can't deny it but he does he's still youthful enough and he has a certain prepubescence about him (laughs) and he does 
he does have that that bit where he kind of always looks like he's kind of wondering where he is and when someone is bringing him his juice box. <laughs> like, he always seems slightly unsettled in interviews, and I think it's just because he's perpetually terrified he's going to spoil something. <laughs> I, they don't let him go on, on interviews uh, alone anymore because of his propensity to spoil things. Especially now, I mean, he's doing these interviews with Z- with Zendaya, and that's yeah. like his girlfriend. He's like, he has to look over. Like, am I going to say the wrong thing, babe? Yeah, they they have a built in minder now, fortunately. But on the on the Avengers ones, they always sent like Benedict Cumberbatch. I I think was kind of his his minder for most of them. Yeah. I saw an interview recently uh, where. Tom Hiddleston was doing Loki promotions and they asked him something about Loki that was kind of spoiler. And he was like, no, 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 you have mistaken me for the other Tom. I'm not the one that gives spoilers. Like, <laughs> Whoa! Just like huge like, honestly, on Tom they, Holland out of nowhere. They, they really should have given Benedict Cumberbatch an extra credit as Spider-Man Wrangler. That's just yeah. really what it should happen. They put Doctor Strange in No Way Home because they're like, how do we get Benedict Cumberbatch to keep minding Tom Holland? for the rest of the MCU. Yeah, you gotta get the science beard bros going there, and <laughs> yeah. since, since but, Tony's out of the picture, you bring in the other bacoteed guy. But the other the other good story about why, why Tom Holland is such a good Peter Parker is apparently on the lead-up for Homecoming to do research. He did go to, like, a science magnet school somewhere in New York, and just, like, slipped in as just a student for a couple of days. Perfect. And apparently, uh, you know, they were like, who's the, you know, English kid that's just hanging out? And so some students were like, who are who are you? And are you, like, a new exchange student or something? And, uh, you know, him not being able to keep a secret, he was like, oh, I've, I've been cast as the new Spider-Man in the MCU, and I'm here to do research. And everyone in the school was like, <laughs> yeah, right, dude. You're too much of a loser to be Spider-Man. <laughs> he was like, and I thought that was a good sign because that means that nobody would ever clock Peter Parker as Spider-Man either. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I thought that was that was very sweet. <laughs> that is perfect. You know what else is perfect? T- Tom Holland's commitment to doing a Queen's accent. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I've kind of always pictured. Peter with a with some sort of New York accent. He grew up in Queens. So I, I kind of always pictured him with that. And any adaptation before this one, he didn't really have one. The closest we ever got was uh Andrew Garfield doing the fake Brooklyn accent when he was Spider Man in the first in the first amazing movie. Yeah, yeah. That's about as close as we got. And uh I do remember going, why doesn't he just use that accent the whole time? He's from New York. (laughs) I do think it's hilarious that between Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland, we've had two Brits playing New Yorkers. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Playing Spider-Man specifically. Um, And that's also one of my favorite interactions uh, in Civil War is, uh, you know, Cap and Spidey, where you're from, kid. Queens, Brooklyn. I love that interaction. So I don't like anybody that doesn't say that this film doesn't play with the working class hero thing, because this film is all about the working class nature of Spider-Man. Yeah, but a lot of people are are more pulled apart by the fact that the villain is a working class guy 
And Spider-Man is the one who's working with a billionaire to bring down the working class guy because it's Tony Stark and his company Damage Control that has affected Adrian Toomes and his workers. And they're just trying to make a living. But at the same time, yes, they are selling guns to criminals uh, and high tech weaponry. Um, So there is that dichotomy of of the struggle there and all the weird shift between you know what class is actually fighting for what class but you know yes parker's still a poor kid he lives in an apartment in queens yes he is working as part of uh, the tony stark intern program but to, to miss the idea that it's not like he doesn't understand where adrian's coming from and why he's doing it he's doing it for his daughter he even says as much to parker to say that the, the the class struggle isn't there at all or that it's been flipped because Parker now works with a billionaire is just missing the biggest picture overall. Which is a nice way to adapt Adrian Toomes because in previous adaptations, whether it be the cartoon or the comic, Adrian Toomes is always portrayed as a rich guy. Yeah, Adrian Toomes is a rich guy who robs banks in a high-tech flying suit that works with the power of magnets. Because it was the 60s and nobody understood magnets, apparently. Magnets, how do they work? You know, he was always just robbing banks to kind of accrue more wealth. He's not just an old dude. He's just a very old dude in a vulture costume, which I think is freaking hilarious. (laughs) A strong wind would knock him over if it weren't for the wings and his control of them. Comics are weird, man. Because comics. Yeah. And it's also that Vulture was going to be the villain of Raimi's Spider-Man 4 from all the storyboards before they they abandoned the project was that Vulture was going to be the next villain. Uh, there was going to be a quick snippet of, uh, of Mysterio in the opening sequence and on all the storyboards when they pull the fishbowl off, it's Bruce Campbell as Mysterio. So, uh, and, and, and hopefully they also would have built up to uh, Dylan Baker's Kurt Connors being the lizard, which is another thing that was was rumored to be in four. Hence why Amazing Spider-Man one had Kurt Connors as the lizard in it. You know, we missed out on John Malkovich as as the vulture. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was one of the rumor castings. There was a a rumor that uh, Mark Hamill wanted to to be in this film as the uh the villain instead but uh he would have done a great job but i can see sony saying we need as much star power in this movie as we can we need to rebuild the spider-man brand after amazing 2 did not perform well i wouldn't agree that uh that needing more star power and going with uh, michael keaton over uh mark hamill is congruent to that thought not not saying that michael keaton isn't amazing he did just come off an oscar win of birdman but mark hamill is mark hamill uh yeah i do not want to talk to anyone who doesn't think mark hamill is star power (laughs) yeah exactly but that said that said i do think that going with with michael keaton obviously was an amazing choice he's fantastic in this film and also it gives him the trifecta of winged characters to play he's got (laughs) batman He's got Birdman, and now he has the Vulture. And, uh, you know, so that's that's important. Uh, and, of course, Michael Keaton coming back in, in Morbius in January. Yes. Now, it has not been confirmed yet, because we have not seen the movie, uh, that he's actually playing Adrian Toomes in that. But it is a Sony movie. It is a Spider-Man universe movie. Uh, so it is mostly assumed that, yes, he will be returning as Adrian Toomes. 
clearly Sony wanted someone from the MCU to be in this movie again to sell this movie and build up the rebuild the Spider-Man brand. So we do get Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man in this film. Yeah, and of course it's coming straight off of Civil War because yeah. you know we haven't really talked about, but Civil War is where this Spider-Man really made his debut. We get those few scenes introducing him. I do like talking about the the class struggle that basically Tony comes in and they can't in front of May say like hi I'm here to recruit Spider-Man. Exactly. So he so he says like um hey you know you've you've you know applied for that grant for that internship and Peter's first thing is does it come with money? Because <laughs> as you can see, we're living in a crappy two-bedroom apartment, apartment. In, in Queens, and um, I, I really, we really need some scratch billionaire Tony Stark pay yes. up. Um, which I love how immediately he's like, I have, I have an aunt to think of and a college fund to think of. And his um, uncle just died six months ago. And and my yeah. uncle just died six months ago. And uh, we're kind of hurting here. So pay up. Which I yeah. love. Uh, bravo to Peter for that being his first. And that's, uh, and that's very in keeping with the character, too. And we do get to see about that things like Peter in Civil War, uh, that Peter has formed the goggles on the Spider-Man suit he built on his own, which is basically like a hoodie and some goggles and web shooters that he built. Thank you. Yep. Um, Not nice. I mean, the, the 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 homemade suit is a nice reference to Scarlet Spider's original outfit, which I do yeah, like. Yeah, the the, the yeah. blue hoodie and the the red mask and everything. Yeah. But that he talks about the fact that the sensory input is now so bad that he's fixed the goggles. Because Tony says, how, how can you see in these? They're, they seem so restrictive. And he's like, well, I need them to block the sensory input. And so now it makes sense, the retracting Spider-Man, you know, movable eye lenses that we yeah. get in the new suit. Now that the CGI is good enough to do that. Thank you, Deadpool. Exactly. Yeah, um, Deadpool had it expressive, but they actually have it as a point in 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 this one. Like a lot of people were concerned that that the new movie like didn't have like Spider Man Spider Sense in it, but there are several sequences where he anticipates things, especially in Civil War. A little less so in, in Homecoming, but but yeah, like has having his eyes widen in the suit to show that is always been like I've always wanted to see that. Yeah, and I like that there's there's reasons for it to be doing that. I like that we see the complex, you know, bits of that. Um, I like him talking over these things with Tony in Civil War so that when we get the spider suit later that has been built by Tony, we understand why this stuff is in there and of course it becomes a huge point through homecoming of that like tony's done a little too much <laughs> yes the, <laughs> but, uh, the the training wheels program and the baby monitor program yeah yeah and that um why is some of this stuff in here tony you've gone a little overboard but that they've talked about it 
And that Tony was quick enough to kind of pick up on this, take it back to his lab and go like, okay, the kid said he needed this and that. And And instant kill mode. (laughs) And instant kill mode because what, what the hell, Tony? But it is, I like that those little touches in Civil War that lead into Homecoming. I I think one of the good things about Homecoming is that unlike Sony when they did the first reboot in in Amazing is that Marvel by this point was like you you know who the hell Spider-Man is. Can we yeah. can we just skip some of this? You don't need to see the Spider-Man, you don't need to see Uncle Ben die. Let's just have him be Spider-Man and move on. The thing though about this film as a setup for Peter's journey in the in the MCU thus far. They were setting him up for his, at least from the MCU point of view, is they're setting him up for his participation in, in Infinity War at this point. This is part of, you know phase three in the mcu we've only kind of fully covered phase one but we start the film just after the battle of new york and literally in grand central station when when one of the giant chitari worm things has has crashed into it and it's the battle is over and this is the cleanup crew so you know we're back in in 2012 tombs and his guys are cleaning up the the mess and salvaging it and the city has given all of these various groups contracts to to come in and then stark and the federal government have created this new damage control group to come in and take all this which was supposed to lead into a TV series. That didn't happen because DC beat him to the punch with Powerless, which was essentially the same thing, and and Powerless didn't do well. But this is one of those, you know, getting the rug pulled out under you because this Tombs is is this is the best job as far as this is going to take us a minute. Good, solid, steady, honest work for my crew. We're going to be in business for a little while. It'll be great. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, nope, the billionaire and the federal government have come in and completely screwed you and get out. Here's the thing is, if the original deal had gone through between Sony and Marvel, Peter Parker, as in the Andrew Garfield version, would have been 17 during the Battle of New York. You would have had to have say he had witnessed it and maybe even taken out a couple of Chitari on the sidelines that strayed too far out of the zone, right? Or helped with the aftermath and cleanup, helped evacuate something. Alien inven- invasion and then a giant lizard. That's not a good time for New York. Yeah. Um, too many so- sky beams. Too many <laughs> sky beams. <laughs> sky beams are never good. Um, so. It would have it would have changed the dynamic somewhat. We have a title card that says eight years later. Yeah. The biggest continuity error. It's not yeah, eight it's, years. It's, it's four it's not, years. It's four years, not eight years. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, which 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 definitely screws the pooch. And and Marvel released a an official MCU thing after that official timeline thing, and uh, it doesn't fix that. 
It still says that Avengers was 2012 and Homecoming was 2016, which I think you can actually see on like the the academic retreat that they go on. It actually says 2016 on the thing, even though the film came out in 2017. But but yeah, like in Homecoming, like it's not just a title card that says eight years later. Adrian Toomes actually says, you know, eight years ago we were doing, you know, we were all these things happened and we were supposed to have this and now we have this. Uh, obviously that's not the exact line. That's too generic to be in an exact line, but you, know, you get what I'm saying. So yeah, yeah, big, big oopsie on, uh, on the opening title card, which caused much confusion and has not ever been, uh, remedied. Whoops. You know, yeah. Mar- Marvel Studios can easily replace the opening of Black Panther with an all T'Challa tribute, but can't change one title card in Spider-Man. Exactly. Exactly. Now... Of course, depending on where you where where you place the timeline, then you get like a, you know, 10, 11 year old Peter Parker witnessing this this battle. And a very young Kate Bishop, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Currently yeah. On, on Hawkeye. So we we have the the thing of once again the Battle of New York being the ultimate kind of lich, linchpin moment for Basically any event in the MCU. Basically any any event in the MCU, which we are still seeing even in the current phase of the MCU right now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the linchpin when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was still thought to be connected to the MCU, you know? That I was, am that was still the whole... saying it is. Oh, uh, yeah. And I will fight people. <laughs> Netflix shows, too. Yeah, the Netflix shows as well. They I was, I was going to mention that. They bring up the Battle of New York all the time because that's what they've they've dubbed it is the battle of new york you know and you know that was that was a uh the big event that happened in all the tv shows and and to have that be you know that was where the phrase it's all connected came in and and to have that be the you know the signifying point for a lot of people's lives cape bishop uh you know adrian tombs what have you uh, it it was a big event in the world. Gee, I wonder what modern day thing we could relate that to. Let's not do that. Okay, yeah. uh, but you know, well, it's, it's already it's... come up multiple times as we've discussed these Spider-Man movies. Is it's it's affected every single one of the the Spider-Man movies that have been made. So why why not this one as well? I mean, e- even if it's metaphorical in this sense. We now have to bring it into what these characters are doing in their school. You know, we've got this big overarching threat of this guy gets mad at Tony Stark, which is fair. Who doesn't get mad at Tony Stark every five minutes? I mean, that's another thing people have complained about, that this Spider-Man has to clean up Tony Stark's mess. But everybody has to clean up Tony Stark's mess. I mean, like, everybody in the MCU at some point or another has had to go in and clean up Tony Stark's mess. And I think that's what a lot of people are annoyed at the MCU Spider-Man movies for, because that's what the plot of the sequel to this movie is, too. (laughs) But isn't that the plot of the MCU? We start the MCU with Iron Man, and it's Tony Stark gets kidnapped in the desert and the entire mcu is like well crap now now we have to exist now we have to (laughs) exist because some billionaire got kidnapped in the desert the good thing about 
Spider-Man has always been the relatability of the piece. And in this one, it's just Peter has to survive school life again. And I like the school interactions in this. And I like that we go back to, once again, Peter is just the kind of science nerd, but we've updated him into modern science nerd. He's on the quiz ball team. And apparently, like, the guy on the quiz ball team. Like, they're saying, Peter, we need you on the team. Even at the magnet STEM school for science nerds, he's still the odd one out. And he still only has the one friend. And Flash is still his bully. And Flash is still his bully, but he's not a physical bully, which I love. It's all mental, yeah. Like, the nickname of uh, Penis Parker. He could have used a goal with Peter Pecker. I think that would have been better, but hey. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit more, uh, it works a little better uh, you know, I, sonically. I like how dumb he is, though. Like, it, it would be better to have Peter Pecker, but... Penis Parker is what he goes with. He is the dumbest kid at the science school, but still he would make the, him relatively smart. He is, he is also the dumbest bully, uh, which is amazing uh, when you consider bullies. Uh, <laughs> and since we don't have Harry there to be the kind of class divide, we get Flash as kind of the, the upper the class kid, kid the, the rich kid that bullies him. I can't wait to see in No Way Home. Like, that's the thing that's from the comics is Flash hates Peter Parker, but he loves Spider-Man. He's a fan of Spider-Man. And we get a, we get glimpses of that in Far From Home. Now that Pete's secret is out, well, how does Flash react to that? I can't wait to find out. If you're on TikTok, follow the Daily Bugle official TikTok. Since they're kind of <laughs> going with that, they're interviewing some of the uh, they have some of the actors in character. Kind of saying, you know, because uh, they knew Peter in high school and how they're reacting to that. In your book, you revealed that the name Spider-Man was your idea. Were there any others that you tossed around before settling on Spider-Man? <sighs> yeah, uh, there were a few. You know, Arachno Kid, The Bitten. Ooh, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> J.K. Simmons as, 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 as Jonah, and you're getting, um, I forget her name, who's playing Betty Brandt. I film. love what they've done with Betty Brandt in the in these movies too. To to have that be that character's arc for these films. To have her start. I mean, because Betty Brandt worked at the Bugle in the comics and in these films, she hosts the video daily announcements, which is amazing. It's it's a fantastic angle for it. And then she has uh then she dates Ned in the in the sequel movie, which Betty and Ned did date. So yeah, I I, I like the the way that they're bringing in these characters. Liz Allen is actually Liz Toombs in this movie. Yeah, so bringing in Spidey's supporting characters, especially from the early days, but giving them these new diverse facelifts is very refreshing. I and really a new interpretation that. of MJ. Of course, the all all leading up to the new interpretation of of MJ M standing for Michelle, not Mary uh is is definitely uh unique and interesting as well hey that's the whole thing about multiverses isn't it leading into the new movie hello synergy yeah i like that um zendaya actually said that she based her character more on like ali sheedy in breakfast club it's it's definitely a daria definitely kind of vibe 
I would I would say like if she's anybody in Daria, she's Jane, which which I like. Fair, fair. Because she's very much the like arty loner kind of thing. I love her just sitting in detention, sketching people in yes. distress. You know, <laughs> not even assigned to detention. She's just there because she wants to be. Uh, which is exactly the plot of Breakfast Club. Yeah. Is Ali Sheedy is just there because she didn't have anything better to do on a Saturday. Yep. But but if you put all of this together, <laughs> what, what happens in this movie, what happens in Far From Home, we find out that she's only doing this because she actually does like Peter. Yeah. And, and not only likes him, but obviously suspects him to be... Spider-Man. Spider-Man. So. Well, th- the interesting thing is, is that Feige said if, of the first movie that her line about I don't like you, I'm just observant was meant to be an honest line. She wasn't trying to cover up there. This wasn't like a girl with a crush that was following him around, at least in the first movie, huh. that she was just observing everybody in the room. And it wasn't meant to be any deeper that she probably could have done that for anybody, you know, that she just was watching everybody. And that after that, yeah, she started to like him. And that it wasn't like the traditional Peter and Mary Jane relationship where they always kind of had a crush on each other. That it was very much just they went to the same school and eventually they started liking each other. But that Peter was always like he crushed on Liz and MJ in this version was just around observing everybody and then after the events of this movie she started to develop a thing for him i do like you know like guy hey, maybe we should stop looking at her it's 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 getting creepy creepy it's already creepy losers <laughs> yeah it's just she's just there observing you know it's like she's not jealous she's not she's just already like nope that's you i love the way that this film shows peter growing into his powers in that it shows him screwing up a lot but never to the point where it's unforgivable maybe the boat scene comes close but that's just him being reckless he's trying to impress tony and he's kind of forgetting the whole responsibility thing there are two kind of caveats in that they give him this suit they you know are out there like go punch captain america okay now go home and then do nothing. Don't, Don't call, call us. us. We'll, we'll call, uh, we'll call yeah. you. Yeah. Here's Happy's phone number. You report to him. And then he's trying to do his best. But he's a 15-year-old kid with great power and no direction. Like, you want to be a mentor, Tony? Meant. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, are, you are doing nothing here. You have given this kid a multi-million dollar suit, as you say later. It's got a training wheels program, but you've given him no direction. Like the uh, or, or even any clue little... that that program is there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to train him, then train him. Yeah, Karen says like uh, the little AI in the suit later, uh, played wonderfully by Jennifer Connelly. The return is... of Jennifer Connelly to the MCU. Yeah. You know, when Karen is finally fully activated, she says. Congratulations on completing the rigorous training wheels protocol. And you're like, what rigorous training? Like, Tony, you have dropped all of the balls on this. 
when were you going to start this protocol or let him in on it or do anything here? The entire boat sequence, Peter starts to figure out that there is this illegal weapons thing going on with these super dangerous alien weapons. He knows something horrible is going down in his neighborhood, and he knows he is wildly out of his depth. So he calls the only person he knows. He calls Iron Man, the person who is equipped to handle this. Yeah. Peter does the right thing. And they ignore him. He is on his own. So, like he tells Tony in Civil War, once you have that power, you know, if you don't have power and people get hurt, well, you couldn't have done anything. So, that's bad luck. But if you have the power and people get hurt, then that's on you. That's your fault. You could have done something to help. Yeah, that's and his speech to Tony in Civil War. That's why he helps the little guy. Exactly, that's the exactly. power responsibility. Yeah, that's, that's the, the power essence, responsibility. The essence of Spider-Man. You know, that's the whole purpose of the character. Yeah. So if Tony's not going to do anything, Spider-Man has to. Exactly. So exactly. Peter steps up and tries to do what he can, and it goes horribly awry and puts more people in danger. But, but what but else I, is Peter going to do? But Peter and the thing is, he's on his own. Peter got a little impulsive in here because as he's about to do something, Tony calls him saying, hey, I got good news for you. And then Peter hangs up on him. If he had listened five minutes more, Tony would have told him, hey, I called the FBI on those weapons dealers. Those that's entirely possible. That. That's the thing. We, we, that's entirely possible. But we don't know that because because Peter was in the thick of things as it was you know he wanted to stop the the deal before it went down so yeah tony could have been like hey i got good news for you i decided to buy you a car because that's equally possible for tony to do exactly i feel for peter in that moment yes it went horribly awry and yes it put people's life in danger and you really feel for peter but I don't see that he had another choice, and I kind of put that entire situation on Tony, because if Tony had said, kid, Even hang back, this. I tipped off the FBI, you have backup. I yeah. think Peter would have been like, oh, so, thank goodness. But, but you know, as it stands, nobody's hands are clean in that situation. That's the thing of movie making. You know, if only somebody had said this at the right time, well, then the movie wouldn't have happened. That's the well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> The one thing I loved about the after part of that scene is that you get the real, the reveal that Tony has listened to every single one of Peter's voicemails because he mentions, oh, you you meant you you had the incident with the bike, the lady that brought you to churro, like even though it's seemingly that Tony doesn't care about Peter, he does. But uh, we we get the mention. He says, you know, I sound like my father. We already know about Tony Stark's daddy issues. He even starts to get into that. He's like, you know, my dad never never praised me, so I'm trying to pay it forward by actually doing that for you. Don't interrupt me while I'm being giving you a compliment. Yes. But the MCU, as we have discussed several times, is kind of all about daddy issues. <laughs> like you said, Kiki, superheroes in therapy. Yeah, and... While Tony is trying to be better, he's not there yet. 
at this point. He, well, he know. won't get there until he has a kid of his own. Yeah. You know, this is his own training wheels protocol, I guess, before his daughter is born. The point is, is that if he just kind of explained, and I think that's what a lot of parents kind of do sometimes, is just, I am go- I'm, I'm doing this, just take it on faith. And he does that to Peter, who he's known for, like, all of a hot minute. And just expects Peter to just shut up, I got this. We do get the thing of, you know, Peter feels like he's on his own, which, of course, leads him to do some of these more reckless things that he wouldn't do. Like, go on this DC trip in order to follow these guys. Let's talk just real quick about the scene where we get the interaction between him and Donald Glover. Cause I just love Donald Glover being in this movie for no real reason. I mean, and it works if you know about Donald Glover's love of the character of Miles Morales, he oh, wanted yeah. to play well, Miles not, Morales. not just, not just his love of the character of Miles Morales, his love of Spider-Man and him being the reason Miles Morales was created. Hmm. So, like, you know, he he had said, you know, in one of the casting things when they were recasting Spider-Man for Amazing, then uh, he was he was like, I want to play Spider-Man. And Brian Michael Bendis saw him and said, I'll create a Spider-Man character that is more diverse for that fact. And the creation of Miles was based on Donald Glover wanting to play Spider-Man. And to have him play Aaron Davis in this in this the movie, Prowler, yeah, who is the Prowler, who is the uncle of Miles Morales in the comic continuity, is a, a wonderful nod to all of that. There is uh, outtakes of that scene where he is still webbed to the car, trying to get his keys to cut the webbing, and there's just a, a, a later shot of him sitting on the ground with his hand still webbed to the car on the phone and he says this he says yeah sorry miles i'm not, I'm not gonna make it yeah i'm just stuck and you know it's it's they are fully 100 percent acknowledging exactly who he is exactly who his nephew is who lives nearby you know uh that he that he mentions in dialogue to to pete when pete's trying to interrogate him uh so yeah having having that be you know, come full circle in its acknowledgement of not only the creation of the character, but also his love of the character and his love of the, you know, the whole series uh, was was it was an important get. You know, the thing is, is that we we talked before in the uh, that the first two movies that we talked about in the series did the, you know, night Gwen Stacy died homage and we get it again in this film <laughs> only this time it's in an elevator yeah, yeah this time it's in an elevator and this time it's not Mary Jane it's not Gwen Stacy it's Liz Allen Liz Liz Allen Toombs yeah we, we get a reference to the first movie with Peter hanging upside down and the and Karen saying kiss her Peter <laughs> yes and and Which I, I like that we hilarious. don't I like that we end up with a comedy bit, you yeah, know, the, him just, the web snaps and he just you know, falls into the, into the ether. Yeah. And I like flash being like, do you know, Peter Parker. 
I know that we're going to get another homage to it. It's in, in the trailer. Yeah. It's in the trailer. Maybe it'll be cut. <laughs> Although they're using it so heavily in the marketing that that uh I I am not holding on to that hope too too tightly. Although there was a scene in this in in Homecoming that was so heavily used in the marketing and I had to see Homecoming twice to make sure that I didn't miss the scene. The vulture coming down the dragon spine. There is a scene that was cut dragon where spine? neither of you go to Dragon Con, but the um Oh yeah, this movie was filmed in Georgia. It it was. They filmed part of it in the Marriott Marquis. If you watch uh, Loki, you will now recognize this as the the interior of the TVA where all of the um, the statues of yeah, the yeah. timekeepers are. It's that really impressive, uh, strange-looking structure that all the elevators come down. That is a real thing. And people who go to Dragon Con have nicknamed it the Dragon Spine because it looks very bony and very impressive. And it is used in a lot of movies, and Marvel really loves it now. Yeah, Marvel really loves filming in Georgia because it's cheap. It's tax cheap. Breaks. You get a lot of tax breaks, yeah. They did cheap. obviously film on some New York streets. Yeah, but... they filmed in New York, but a, a lot of the interior stuff was filmed in Georgia for this one. But they filmed a scene, and it was heavily used in the trailers. And everyone who's ever been to Dragon Con lost their minds when the trailer for Homecoming came out. Because there was this very impressive shot of the vulture breaking through a non-existent glass ceiling and flying down. Um, yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. And it's not trailer. in the film at all, and I've never known what the context of that missing scene was. Um, Marvel having misleading scenes in a trailer? Yeah. No. yeah. That's unprecedented. Uh, uh, why no, is, is Lizard's neck snapping back in that trailer? No one's hitting him. It's it's only in the Brazil trailer. It's not in not in the American one. Oh, or here's here's a hero shot of all the Avengers, plus the Hulk running towards camera for Infinity War, or even in, in, in Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, where he's wearing his regular Spider-Man outfit and not the Iron Spider outfit yeah. when he's doing the charity thing and the Huygen Glavin. Let's erase Spider-Man from this group shot in the Civil War trailer. We haven't revealed exactly, him yet. Exactly, because we haven't yeah. revealed him yet. Like One thing I want to bring up is... When Peter finally gets the cojones to ask Liz out, and she's like, "Yeah, I, I, I know you like me. I like you too. Let's go out." <laughs> I love, I love that one of the things that she says is, "You're, you're awful you're at keeping secrets." Yes, which we've we've mentioned as other Spider-Man has had a lot of problems keeping their secret identity. He has hints of Spider Sense in Civil War, but has no hint of it. When he's crawling into his own bedroom, that Ned is there. Well, here's well, we, the thing. We've talked about this in the fact that there are two competing things here. Because in the comics, Spider-Sense has, on multiple occasions, protected his secret identity. identity. Yeah. But it also 
has a blank spot where it will not trigger against people who are not a threat to him, people who are very close to him, like Aunt May or like sometimes a best friend like Ned. And the two people we don't see it trigger on during this film are Ned and Aunt May. Yep. Who uh, both learn his secret identity that way. I'm just glad they, they uh, I, said, I said it last week, but yeah, I'm glad they just ripped that Band-Aid off right in this movie that Aunt May knows. <laughs> That's the thing about the MCU. Other than Spider-Man up to this movie, there are no secret identities for most characters in the, in the MCU. I kind of like that in a way because the ones that don't have secret identities in the MCU are also the ones that don't really have secret identities in the comics. Everybody knows that Tony Stark and Iron Man are the same person in the comics. Yeah, but they they didn't initially. Iron but, Man was Tony Stark's bodyguard for Well, yeah, that's true. 20 years, 30 <laughs> years at this point. So. And at some point, Rhodey wore the costume just to get people off the scent that Tony might be Iron Man. Exactly. But it is much more unbelievable today that somebody would be able to keep that up one thing to add to what you're saying is that in a world where everyone has a a high death camera in their pocket in the age of social media anyone could be recording spider-man at any time seeing him walk into this crawl into this apartment and take his mask off that's that's absolutely true like Hawkeye and Black Widow and stuff like that, they don't wear masks in the the MCU iteration. Because they're not superheroes, they're spies. So once something like the Battle of New York happens, you know, people were around, people were watching, people were filming. Immediately it's going to be like, oh, hey, it's that Hawkeye guy that had a bow and arrow during the Battle of New York with his face fully showing. So with Spider-Man, it's a little bit easier, though, and it's more important to protect him because he's a kid. Yeah, he's 15 in this movie, so yeah. Yeah. But the reason I bring up the the Liz scene is it leads to probably one of the most adorable Peter-Aunt May scenes ever where where Aunt May is teaching Peter how to dance. Yeah. And teaching him how to tie a necktie. It's like, this is, like, ultimate mom in Aunt May. Yeah, absolutely. And and even the Ultimate Universe version of Aunt May, which, you know, uh, they aged younger in the Ultimate Comics. Yeah. I mean, to be, I mean we, we've mentioned this. Rosemary Harris was 70 when she played Aunt May in the first Raimi film. Sally Field was 60 when she played Aunt May in The Amazing One. And we have, uh, you know... Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei, who was 50 years old. So it's yeah. like... She is age-appropriate to have a teenage son-slash-nephew, but, you know, the meme of Aunt May getting younger and younger with each reboot. Yeah. Uh, and and R- Robert Downey Jr. keep making comments about your bizarrely hot <laughs> aunt. Yeah. The fact that they've made, made that an overarching plot line is a little annoying, because it doesn't give... Marissa Tomei a whole lot to do other than kind of just be hot. Uh, yeah, but, every but, man in New York wants to bang Aunt May. You know, the, yeah, she the, gets free. She gets free sticky rice pudding at the Chinese restaurant because 
Aunt May's a hottie. I think he larbs so. you. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, though, is that I do like that this version of May is very maternal, but not standoffish. You know, she's very much, I remember what it was like to be your age. The most upset we see her in this is when, you know, she's been trying to contact him because of the day of the fairy thing. And, you know, can't reach his phone and he's showing up with clothes from the garbage or I guess a lost and found on the boat or something. And, you know, she's like, you're you're all I know you sneak out at night. Uh, You you had the whole thing where you 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 skipped out on the the academics thing, even though you went on the trip to D.C. You've been Uh, dropping out of school clubs. You're dropping out of school clubs. What's going on? And, you know, his his only cover is that he's not in the uh, Stark internship anymore because Tony took his costume away. Um, but that's really the only, like, upset parent kind of situation we get for from her. I, I want to see more things like that from from their relationship because it is she is his parent, you know considering all the things that have happened to to Pete's parents and his uncle Ben and everything. So, you know, to have that relationship expanded would be nice beyond Aunt May is hot. I mean, even, even in other parts of the movie, like in civil war, she says, Oh, you got into a fight. Hope you got a good few good shots in. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's the cool parent, Um, which, you know, is exactly what she is in the ultimate books too. So they're definitely pulling that as a, as a source. Pulling up to the party, hey, don't forget to have fun, you know. So she's, she you know, she she's trying to have her kid be a kid, for lack of a better. Exactly, name. exactly. This Peter Parker is very internal, you know. You you almost kind of want to see the the thought bubbles sometimes. Yeah, I do like that little montage where they're watching the YouTube video and trying to trying to remember how to tie a tie and her trying to to teach him the dance moves which is very funny in context given who the the actors are of course but it all leads up to you know she drops him off to to pick up liz and we we do get that just excellent reveal because we've kept these two characters apart for most of the film of there's just this guy in a wingsuit that Spider-Man has been fighting. Yeah. This whole film and kind of chasing after as the leader of this thing. And then we, we've been building to this homecoming dance and all, and these are just two completely separate, unrelated storylines, even for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, the they're, audience they're... has also, there has been no foreshadowing to this moment. Yeah, we never oh. hear Liz's last name. We don't, we we all, you know, the Spider-Man fans assume she is Liz Allen, because that's a character that's been in the Spidey comics. You know, they don't actually ever say her name is Allen or Toombs or anything like that. We see her mom in D.C. when she runs to her mother to get a hug after getting out of the Washington Monument. We don't and hear we, a thing about her dad at all. We we at, get one ever. a line that that Toombs has a daughter. Yes, you know his Which daughter through def- the thing. He sees the report of Spider-Man saving the people in DC on the news, but he doesn't acknowledge that that it was his daughter that that he rescued or anything right. like that. To have that be the the big reveal, and I I love 
the weird switch of like he's nervous because he's taking Liz out and her father is intimidating. But to Pete, he's intimidating for a whole lot of different reasons than most dads are intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) Like in all of the pictures that they're taking together, smile, take a picture with Liz. And he's like looking at the dad. And it's like, it's not because he's distracted. And like, he, he just kind of like pushes this corsage near her. He doesn't really acknowledge to put it on her for her. Like though, even though she prompts him for it, you know, he's, he's very concerned with, the dad figure and to anyone outside of that situation it's just looking like oh he's intimidated by liz's dad because it's liz's dad not because he's an international criminal arms dealer dealing in alien technology and has been trying to kill him and that's what liz (laughs) kind of goes with like you know just ignore my dad he's intimidating but you know just just ignore him and the thing is is even at the even at that moment Toombs thinks he's just a really weird kid who is overly intimidated by the don't touch my daughter act. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's only when he starts putting things together in the car trip that he figures out that that Pete is is Spider-Man. And Adrian Toombs is the smartest person in the Marvel universe. Yeah, he is. He is. And uh and and you know, well, next to MJ because <laughs> MJ <laughs> yeah. did figure it out too. We we don't find that until the sequel, but he he puts it together in the car trip, and I honestly think, like, had Pete not walked into the homecoming dance at all, if he had just gone from Liz going into the dance and Pete being in the car and then suddenly not showing up at the dance at all, Liz would have figured that her dad scared him off or something like that, you know? Yeah. And I love I th- the framing of of the realization because you're they're at the red light and as soon as he figures out it just the light turns green it's like yeah it's easy but i like it yeah you know it's 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 storytelling and it's and it's most simplistic and it's it's entertaining because of that i think uh but yeah no it's 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 always it's it's a cool reveal it's a cool reveal I, i i'm glad they saved it for that point you know, you, you, we, we know Adrian's got a kid because he's got the drawing of the Battle of New York in the very opening, uh, you know, the cold open of the movie. So, yeah. And the the interesting thing is that I love the scene where he's like, uh, hey, hey, Liz, go into the dance. I got to, you know, I got to give your boyfriend the, the, the you know, talk. awful little dad talk. And then he pulls out the gun. Yeah. And he starts going like, look, you know, you, you've saved my daughter from the Gwen Stacy fall. So I'm going to not <laughs> shoot you in the head right now. So we're going to call that even. And you're never going to interfere with my business. Yeah. You're never going to come near me again. Here's the thing. He pulls a gun out of the glove box, but he hides it behind the headrest of the car next to him, of the seat next to him. So Pete can't ever see that gun. Sure, the spider sense may be tingling, but, or his Peter sense, as they call it in the other the movies. Peter Tingle, I, I hate Peter that Tingle. Name, but, yeah. I absolutely hate it, but we're supposed yeah. to hate it. That's the thing. Yeah. You're supposed to not like it. But uh, you don't ever see the gun. Pete never sees the gun because of the way that he's sitting and the way that he's holding the weapon. Somebody else outside of the vehicle 100% could see that weapon. And I, <laughs> I, I hope like, you know, it's, you know, it's not a scene that's in the movie, but I hope that that's a scene that's like, oh, Liz, 
I saw your dad talking to Pete and he was holding a, tip, a damn pistol. Maybe that would explain why Pete had to run out of, of the, the homecoming. Because I, I always feel bad for characters when they do things and they don't explain them and people get mad at them. That's a yeah. weird thing about me. It's, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I it's hate the that I feel that way about of that. Yeah. It's, it's the whole awkwardness of situations. And like, that's the thing I had a problem with earlier. Like, if people would just explain things, yes, probably the movie wouldn't happen. But also, people's feelings wouldn't be hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you just want to hug Liz and be like, I'm sorry your dad's in jail, but also Peter Parker isn't a bad guy and he didn't exactly. intend to hurt you in that situation. No, Please just got, give him a call. He's got some things going on, too. Yeah. <laughs> the The thing is, though, is that even knowing his life is on the line there and even knowing what it's going to cost him. The good thing about this version of Peter Parker is there is no hesitation. Yeah. Gun to his head, he still leaves his phone in that car to be tracked. Yep. By Ned. Uh, Because he knows that this business trip, you know, this final business trip, honey, you know, you won't have to worry about me going off ever again. Is a front. Is is just a front. He's about to pull a big heist and Spider-Man needs to be there to stop it. He needs to do his Spider-Manning. And so he walks into the dance immediately says, like, you know, I really want to stay here and dance with you, but I can't. You deserve better than this. Yeah. Um, I love that he's got an old suit stashed underneath a row of lockers that he just lifts. Yeah, and they easily. and they and they show that earlier too, so it's not like it's a surprise in there. Yeah. He makes his web fluid in science class. And he stashes it under there, and he retrieves a thing of web fluid from under there later in the movie. Yeah. So it's not like it, you know, it's it's been Chekhov's Spidey suit. Yeah. <laughs> I and I love. I don't know, like, I don't know how they how they rigged that for that, um, you know, that little moment. But I do, I do love you know, that practical effect of just him being able to just, you know, easily lift that whole that whole row of, of lockers. They've been very good about subtly inferring subtly inferring how strong Pete actually is in these movies. Yeah. Like just in the in the, the combat in Civil War where Winter Soldier punches at him and he just catches the fist and goes, whoa, you got a metal arm? That's so cool. Yeah, I love uh, that. Moment. You know, it's, you know, th- there's so much power that's behind that shot and Pete just grabs it like it's nothing. And he lifts up the, the lockers like it's nothing. The lockers well, not supremely heavy, but he, then he gets trapped and he's able to get out of his own head and rescue himself. We've uh, mentioned that. Peter really is just pulling all of his punches, like, all of the time. He has to. He has to. Yeah. He would shatter everyone's jaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can we just take a moment to appreciate Bokeem Woodbane as a shocker? Bokeem Woodbane as the shocker, as the second shocker. The first shocker uh, is... Is vaporized. Uh, <laughs> is vaporized, but also was played by the guy who was the lead in Upgrade. Uh, which was basically the best Venom movie until Venom came out, uh, <laughs> which still not a great Venom movie. Uh, yeah. But uh, oh God, what's what's I'm trying to f- remember the actor's name, uh, but he's in he's in a ton of things. And uh, I have a video game with him and it's, it's a, a full motion video 
game called Telling Lies that he's Logan in. Marshall Green. That's his name, Logan Marshall Green. He uh he was he was the main guy in Upgrade, uh, which was a fantastic movie, but uh, severely underused in this one, playing playing a almost a Tom Hardy kind of dick uh in in this movie and, i just love uh, that death it's like i thought it was the anti-gravity gun <laughs> yeah and like Oops. oh i i just vaporized this guy well guess i'm a killer now <laughs> the, instead um... let's vaporize him him and his suit except for the weapon on his arm somehow that's okay which uh, i didn't notice at, at first is crossbones's gauntlet from civil war yep i do like how they have that that that, that little bit of a uh, that little bit of a callback yeah, yeah. There's 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 Chitari weaponry. There's dark elf weaponry. There's, there's Ultron know, tech. pieces of Ultron. There's 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 pieces of Ultron, not just Ultron tech. There's an Ultron arm. There's an Ultron head and spine. Uh, so yeah, they're 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 going the gamut of everything that Tony has gotten damage control to clean up everything the Avengers and Avengers adjacent have done. Uh, so it's it's a nice nod to all the movies that have come before that, you know, shit got left behind from. Yeah. Yeah. We do get the the lovely little bit of Ned finally getting his you know, guy, the man guy, in the chair. guy in the chair. Yeah. To me, honestly, Ned is the real hero of this movie. Yeah, he's he's the Samwise, you know. He's he, he's the Samwise of the movie. He's 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 the the ganky of the movie, uh, you know, in appearance and friendship position. But uh, he uh, the the moment he he saves Spidey from Shocker by picking up the web shooter, you know, he's 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 really the the guy who saves Spidey's bacon by tracking the phone while Spidey's out wrecking Flash's dad's car. Uh, <laughs> because we need to have this uh, an Audi commercial in the middle of our Spider-Man movie. Exactly. Uh, there, there's another car that's coming out for the new movie, and and there's a whole commercial with Ned driving, picking Pete up from a hotel he's hiding out in. Hey, man, how'd you find me? My Ned sense. But also, time to face your destiny. What? I don't know. I just wanted to say something really cool. 177A Bleecker Street. Who lives there? You'll see. The thing is, though, is that I like that we do get the kind of final big villain speech from Tombs where he's asking Peter, like, why, why are you siding with the, the real bad guy? Yeah, why are you siding with the billionaire who's been keeping me, the average guy, down? I'm do I'm. What would Liz think of what I'm doing to her? No, I'm doing this for her. Yeah, it's a great speech. You're the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Uh, you think your buddy Stark is doing anything different than what I'm doing? How how do you think he got those billions? You think he's got those billions selling sandwiches? Like, no. Exactly. That's he's he's a weapons merchant, dude. I am also a weapons merchant. There's what what exactly is the difference here? Yeah, and and, and that's why that's why the the battle is such, you know, a moral complication for for Pete. You know, that's they're 
you know, to some people, they're not seeing where that's the moral complication. But it, you know, he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's trying to keep his neighborhood safe. You know, he wants Tombs to do something that's not as dangerous for the community and for his family. You know, and he even he's even the guy who's like, look, you're going to blow up. I'm going to save you. I don't care that you're trying to kill me. You're I'm not going to I'm not going to use the auto kill on the suit to kill other people. And I'm not going to let you die on my watch either. And that is so much the essence of of Spider-Man. We've mentioned this in in the other two episodes. Spider-Man is not a killer. The only time Spider-Man has been a killer is when it was not. Peter Parker. It was when Otto Octavius took over his mind. Yeah. When it was Otto's brain in Parker's body. The closest in the movies has been when he was under the influence of the symbiote. Yeah. And and you know, he he thought he killed Sandman and yeah. ended up didn't because it's Sandman. But uh yeah, yeah, that's as close as as close as we get. And again, that's another outside influence. Parker in his essence is not a killer and wouldn't. But when you're being influenced by an alien symbiote, obviously things are a little different. We we get at the at the end of that that scene between Tombs and Peter, my my favorite moment in the entire film, which is you know Peter trapped under the rubble, and him hearing Tony about if you're nothing without the suit, then what are you? You know, with the suit. It, a lot of people a lot of people wanted that to be the moment directly from the comics where where Pete is trapped under the building or or the the machinery and what gets him to lift up the thing is thoughts of Mary Jane or or Gwen or I th- I think it's actually Gwen and and thoughts of Aunt May and I can't leave them alone and that's what gives him the strength but in this it's it's you know Tony's speech to help rile him up it's all serves the same purpose you know, I, lo- I mean, again, right out of the comments, he looks into that pool of water, sees half his face, half the mask. And I love that shot. <laughs> Such a good shot. Come I, on, I mean, Peter. Come on, Spider-Man. Come on, Spider-Man. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's not as poetic as Stan Lee's writing when Stan Lee's trying to get him motivated. Like, got to think of Aunt May and I can't leave my family alone. I have people that I'm responsible for. It's also not a 60s comic book anymore. <laughs> I like this because it shows that. Yeah, everyone says, oh, you know, everybody else fixes Peter's problems for him. But in this moment, at his lowest point, there is no one coming to help him. Yeah, You see him yelling out, help me, help me, and no one is coming. The only person he can count on in that moment is himself. So he finds the strength within himself to lift that building off of him. And he knows he has to face the vulture alone. Exactly. Yeah, nobody knows he's there. I mean, Ned knew he was maybe in that area, but as far as he knows, Peter is still, you know, up and kicking and, you know, doing his thing. And no high-tech yeah. suit to call the Avengers in. Say what you will about the suit, he does his entire final battle, no high-tech suit, just yeah. pure Peter. He does, it, he does it in the old homemade suit, and yeah. that's it. And uh, standard web shooters, and that's it. And, uh, yeah, no, that's... That, and it shows, you know, it goes back to uh, the speech that gives him the power to to lift himself out of it is, you know, if if you don't have the suit, you know, if you're nothing without the suit, well, what are you or it. whatever it is? You're nothing with it either. And whatever, whatever the, the expression is, it's not with great power comes great responsibility. So I'm not going to automatically remember it. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, he's proving that he is something without the suit because he's using 
the non-tech thing. And uh, yeah, the you know, suit he built, the web shooters that he built, his own his own homemade Spider Boy things. Yeah, yeah, YouTube um, sensation. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, it's also in here. It's that when you know, knowing his wings are about to explode. Tombs just keeps going for that prize. He can't help himself. Yeah. He could have just gotten away and, and let Peter die in that fire, but he had to go for that prize. One, it, the, the big one. He had, he had to. He could, couldn't resist. He, and it he, almost cost him his life. He needed he needed that last score because, because Spider-Man stopped him from getting the score before it, and they were running out of resources. He does prove... That even though he has a point, in the end, he is still a villain. Yeah. That he doesn't know when to walk away. When to switch it off, when to actually be human. And, and yes, you think you're doing this for your family, but also, who else are you hurting because of it? Well, and you're doing it for greed. It's not your yeah. family. I mean, that family was pretty comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice big mansion in upstate New York. Yeah, exactly. It's very obvious that at the point he's still doing this last big score or whatever, his family's already pretty comfortable. If he's saved correctly and invested correctly, and I don't know what Liz's mom does for a job, but, you know, even if they had to downsize their house or whatever, they're probably still okay. Peter does the right thing, as always, and saves his life uh and leaves him you know webbed up with a little note for happy you know found this flying vulture guy sorry about your plane <laughs> you know so, sorry about i the love plane. the uh the uh the, the invisitech they use on that plane just mirroring the sky and the ground i, I do like yeah. it and you get to see uh parker crawling across the plane when he passes the camera yeah <laughs> You know, Peter just watches from a distance, you know, on the Coney Island coaster. Then he does the right thing again. And again, this is one of those things of I don't understand people who keep saying that Peter's head is turned by, you know, Tony's wealth and, and all that kind of stuff. Because we have the definitive answer at the end of the film when Tony is like, all right, leave leave Queens. Be an Avenger. Here's an even higher tech suit. The Iron um, Spider suit. Oh, I was in the, when that got revealed in the theater, everyone started cheering because that's what they wanted. They wanted that Iron Spider suit. Yep. Yeah. And and, and and that's almost like not even the 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 Iron Spider suit that we get in uh, in Infinity War either. Yeah. It it does look slightly different than than that one as well. So. Yeah, but Peter. Immediately, I mean, barely thinks about it and is like, no, I'm I'm a neighborhood Spider-Man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like well, want to stay a little more grounded. I've got other people to think about. Yeah. You know, it's again, I want to finish of high school. I want to, you know, also, I mean, being an Avenger means you're also signing those Sokovia Accords, which means your face yeah. is now known. Exactly. And uh, and I I I personally love that scene because of of how it's ended is you know it's revealed that oh it wasn't a test like peter says it was a test right no yeah you test you passed and then out comes pepper and we clearly see that there are 50 reporters in there 
and they have to think of something uh, to fill up what they were going to announce instead of announcing Spider-Man is joining the Avengers. Uh, proposal, maybe? Is that it? <laughs> I've had yeah. this ring in my pocket since 2008, says Happy, uh, uh, which they all kind of give him a weird look for. But my favorite part of the making of that scene is Gwyneth Paltrow didn't realize that that scene was for Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention that. She's talking with Favreau, and he's like, you know, and, and then we shot something for Spider-Man, and she goes, I'm not in Spider-Man. And he goes, yes, you are. <laughs> she, like, had no idea that that scene that she shot was for the Spider-Man movie. She thought she it was thought, for Avengers. She thought it was for some other Avengers thing. So I I think that is amazingly hilarious. Which that uh, also got a cheers in my theater when I saw it, because, again, we thought Gwyneth Paltrow was done with Marvel. Yeah, yeah. And then she just pops up at the end of Spider-Man saying, hey, what's going on, guys? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I like I like that they've brought some people back that we thought were done, like like uh, Natalie Portman for yeah. uh, for Thor is coming back for for Love and Thunder, which I'm very excited for. Came back and did like one or two kind of pickups for things for uh, for Endgame when they went back and used footage from Thor the Dark World and didn't have a, a certain shot. So they had her come in for those so yeah but, but yeah. it's very nice that peter you know he chooses to stay in queens you know uh, tony gives him back the suit but we we do get the one last little bit in the in the school where you you get the reveal of this michelle chick is our mj yeah you know there's a the there's a future here for them and I love the little bit where she does that, like, what kind of secret are you hiding, Peter? You know, what are you? And then she's like, yeah, I don't really care. Go but then she just gives him that look like, mm. again, we, we find out in the sequel that she suspects that he's Spider-Man. We, we do get that one last one last little bit where, you know, Tony returns the the suit we've been seeing all all movie and he puts it on after making sure that Aunt May is not home. But doesn't but, shut his door. But, but he doesn't shut his door. Does not shut his door when he's doing questionable things in his own room. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, Aunt May sees him, and we get the "What the fuck?" You know, yeah, which has now become a running gag in these movies. What the fuck? What the? And then, and then I do love the, I do love how they played with the, uh, the post-credit sequence with Captain America being like, you know, when you wait for something and then it's just oh, not it's so really good. that interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, it was such a little dig and I loved it. Uh, on the, on the Blu-ray of the movie are several, several Captain America PSAs rapping with the cap. Man, <laughs> they're good. Holy you crap. You know, my favorite, there is a, my favorite little fan theory about those little things is that those aren't really Captain America. No, that, no, what's, what's fun, what I think is, is good is I think they absolutely 100% are. You can tell when they were made because he's wearing the cap suit from Avengers 1. No, but there, there's a, there's a joke on the internet is that, um, Within the context of the MCU, somebody wrote like a little a little thing where that there's they're like my personal theory is that those weren't really made by Captain America. Is that they're actually a joke by Loki? 
<laughs> because they're too cheesy for even Captain America to do. So it's actually that like Loki walked into a studio and was like, I want to do something to help the children, you know? And that one day Peter Parker is just sitting around talking to, to uh, Captain America and he just sits down and goes like, so you got detention and Captain America, like Steve is just like really confused. And he's like, <laughs> no, I used to watch your PSAs all the time in school. And he's like, I never did PSAs. And they figure out that it was actually just Loki playing. I, I love, I love fan head cannons like that. I it's love so fan head cannons too. I just, I think it's so funny, That's uh, great. but it does, it does seem like something though, that I either character would do in equal yeah. amounts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to talk about the end credit scene that seems to have been dropped from this whole home trilogy is Tombs in Jail with Mac Gargan the Scorpion. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's been dropped per se, because uh, it's just one of those things like with anything that we've seen with, with the MCU, it just hasn't been explored yet. I mean, we're starting to get the abomination coming back into things and Hopefully we'll see Samuel Stern's return in some capacity as the leader from Incredible Hulk. But, uh, you know, that when they were doing this movie, they in the marketing uh, making of things, they mentioned that uh, Mason, the tinkerer, is in this movie and he's still at large at the end of this movie. So that's one of the things that they like were planting the seeds already to have him come back for a future movie. So I think having Mac Gargan being in the post credit scene uh, is is a nod to, yeah, eventually we'll get to him. But yeah, because of the way Marvel's phases are working out, eventually keeps getting pushed back. And uh, I think maybe we might get a hint of that in, in Morbius uh, because, you know, the, the whole end credit scene is that Matt Gargan, who is eventually in the comics becoming the Scorpion, and he has a Scorpion tattoo on his neck in the films, uh, approaches Tombs in prison and says, hey, you know, I don't blame you for the reason I'm in here and my face is messed up. Uh, it's our mutual friend, Spider-Man. By the way, if you know him, I have people on the outside who can take care of him. And Adrian protects him by saying, if I knew who he was, he'd already be dead because not only did he save my daughter's life, but he saved my life. Yes, I probably do belong in prison because I know what I did wrong. And uh, also, I love the actor who plays Mac Gargan because he played Vaz in Far Cry 3. And uh, so he's already amazing. So I can't wait to see more of him in these movies. Please Michael let's bring Mando, him back. yeah. Please bring him back. <laughs> I mean, now that we have a movie that's dealing with Peter's identity as Spider-Man being revealed, maybe that'll be part of it. I doubt it, but it, it's interesting to kind of go back to that. Yeah, yeah, it it'll be interesting to see uh where down the line they'll they'll bring this thread. I I always feel that they have full intent to do things with it and they're just dangling threads for now. You know, it's we we don't know what happened to Abomination and then suddenly he pops up in Shang-Chi and he's supposed to be in uh, She-Hulk. the She-Hulk, the She-Hulk TV series, which I am so hyped for. So you know, you, you can you never say never with any of these characters in the MCU. It's just, it's just going to take a while because 
outlying plans always seem to take precedence. So, and plus, you know, we lost a year due to things. Exactly. Exactly. So let's uh, let's ask the question: Does Spider-Man: Homecoming have the magic, uh, Ian? I think so. I think so. I I remember feeling giddy in my soul seeing Spider-Man web swing on the big screen in the Sam Raimi movies the first time I saw those and just like the unadulterated joy I felt because Spider-Man is my favorite comic book character. I've loved the character since I was a kid and to see that on the big screen I was like, yes, this is the moment I've been dreaming of seeing. And I didn't feel that way with the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but I felt it again seeing him in Civil War and in Homecoming. And it's there is no other way to describe that feeling other than absolute magic. All right, Kiki. I talked about how absolutely disappointed uh, I was with the, the first iteration. And how much better, you know, I, I liked uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, but how I felt that it was kind of plotting and eh, uh, in some of the story. When I walked out of Homecoming the first time, I went, well, it took, what, like 17 years or something. But I finally got a fully good... Spider-Man film, no notes, no qualms, no reservations. This was the first time that I sat down and watched a Spider-Man movie and I went like, yup, this is what I want. This, this is the full package deal. So, yeah. Full, fully magic, no reservations, no notes. Good, good job, everybody. I'm going to also agree that this movie does have the magic. It does fit Spider-Man very well into the MCU. Uh, again, I have my reservations on his presentation and all that, but to me, they did it the right way, introducing this character into the MCU, and this movie still holds up. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, when No Way Home, uh, far, yeah, No Way Home comes out, and just seeing. seeing the conclusion of this era of Spider-Man adventures. And uh, definitely want to see more. Hopefully Tom Holland stays on and he gets to have more adventures of Spider-Man and we'll see what happens. So uh, yes, Homecoming definitely has the magic. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love Tom Holland as the character. To me, he strikes the most perfect balance between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Agreed. Yep. That's all we can say about Spider-Man Homecoming. Well, let's move on to next week. It is our Christmas episode. Uh, our lone Christmas episode this, this year. And we are going to be spending Christmas with the Muppets. Yay! As we, as we take a look at a Muppets Christmas Letters to Santa. Recently added it onto Disney+. Plus. We're going to take a look at it and see if this one is uh, worthy of the other... Muppet Christmas specials. Yeah, so uh, Ian, before we go, why don't you uh, plug all the things that you would like to plug? Sure. Well, you can find my music at insaneian.bandcamp.com. I have a couple of songs about Spider-Man or Spider-Man adjacent things on several of my releases there. You can also pick up my brand new album, Illinois, 
which is available on Bandcamp. I'm also on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, whatever you call it, Amazon, YouTube, and I have my own YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash insaneian. Uh, you can subscribe there. I do weekly videos where I react to comedy music videos, but I also release my own comedy music videos there as well. Or if you want to see those things early and get my music early, I have a Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash insaneian. Go do all that. Go get Ian's brand new album. It's really good. Come back next week for Muppets Christmas Letters to Santa. If you're going to go see No Way Home, uh, let us know what you thought about it on our socials. And uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. 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 Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course... New episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.